0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. We're currently in a series called Teach Us to Pray, where we're exploring what Jesus taught his disciples about prayer, and we're going to be borrowing heavily from the Practicing the Way resources. Uh, Just a quick note, our teaching often does include a decent amount of discussion and community response, and we do intentionally edit that out in order to preserve confidentiality and the Sunday experience. Uh, so you'll likely not be hearing the full content or context of the teaching. Uh, but still, our hope is that this will encourage you, it will equip you, and really, we're just so honored that you listen in. So, here it is. All right, good
1: morning. good morning. It is my pleasure to kick off our new series, Teach Us to Pray. I'm excited about this because I think that prayer is misunderstood in, well, definitely the world misunderstands it, and I actually think that the church misunderstands it a lot as well. Prayer is a really broad term covering a lot of different interactions that we do with God, but at its fundamental, it's just the way that we communicate with God. And the practice of prayer is learning to set aside dedicated time to intentionally be with God in order to become like him and partner with him and who he is shaping us to be. So the ultimate goal of this series isn't actually to make us experts on prayer. There isn't a right way to pray, so we can't actually master it. Don't expect to, at the end of this, be able to just off-the-cuff riff uh, two-hour-long prayer that should be read when there's an inaugural speech. That's not the goal here. The goal is actually just to deepen our connection to God. So I would encourage you also, there's going to be a lot of content in this because we're borrowing heavily, as, as Tim mentioned, from, from John Mark Comer's Practicing the Way. There's going to be a lot of content that, that is probably familiar, and probably seems a little bit like, okay, yeah, I've, I've learned about this before, it might be something that you've studied. If you're like me and grew up in the church, might be something you studied before. I would encourage you to approach this series with an open mind, looking not for things that you already know, but actually looking for areas that you might not know, things that you might be doing that are actually harming you, that you don't even realize it. I, a lot of you would know that I, I work for a pet food company, and I started for that pet company right out of college. I was actually, at one point I used to work in the office, I'm fully remote now, but I used to be in the office and would have lots of conversations with my coworkers, including one where I was in an argument with a coworker, well, it wasn't really an argument, but uh, where she was adamant that the company Smart was named PetSmart and I being the overconfident recent college grad that I was was adamant that no it's it's actually PetSmart. It's PetSmart. It's not PetSmart and I said you look so dumb right now. You don't know that it's actually PetSmart. It's like Walmart or SaveMart or Kmart. It's a mart for pets obviously. That's the way it is and I even went so far as to go to another coworker and I said, "Can you believe this? Can you believe that that's that's what she thinks it is and this other coworker said Robbie that it is pet smart like she took me online to to see the logo where it literally pet is in three red letters and then smart is in blue lettering very clearly another word <laughs> and I just said wow I look so dumb right now <laughs> and I think we can often do the same thing with prayer where we can we can approach it and just think i already know this this is this is easy this is something that i've grown up with or this is something that i've done over and over but actually there can be little things that just don't make sense to us don't click immediately for us and so we can actually learn hey wait i didn't know that i thought this company was was this name and it's actually this name i didn't know that I thought I should be doing this and and actually I should be doing this. So as we get started, we're actually going to to go through three questions. Uh, I want us to break up in groups like we normally would, but I want us to talk through these three questions and we'll discuss this for a little while, maybe a little bit longer than we normally would to say, and then we'll come back and, and maybe share a little bit of it. But the three questions are one what emotions does the word prayer elicit in your heart? Two, what challenges do you face in prayer? And three, what invitation do you sense from God to go deeper in prayer? So let's maybe split into groups of three or four and uh, discuss this for, yeah, a few minutes, and then we'll come back and uh, keep going. I definitely experience a lot of the same emotions, (laughs) a lot of the same difficulties as, as the rest of you, for sure. I often find it really difficult to, to start praying. That's actually, like, a really difficult thing for me, even when I go to bed thinking, okay, I'm going to pray when I wake up. Like, I, I didn't pray today, but I'm gonna pray when I wake up. I, I, I just need to go to sleep right now, and then When I wake up, I'll pray. But then the first thing that hits me when I wake up is guilt and shame. And it's, I'm immediately, I didn't pray. I didn't pray yesterday. I really should have prayed yesterday. That's the immediate thought that comes to my mind. And that shame, as with all shame, pushes me away from intimacy and into isolation. That's always going to be the role of shame. That's what shame will do. And now... I've placed this mental block in between me and my ability to enter into God's presence. Now you can notice also that that is a block that I'm placing there, not a block that God's placing there. As a matter of fact, for God, it probably looks like I'm some strange mime performing for him as he just looks at me and says, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm just, well, God, there's, there's this block in between Me and you, I I need to figure out how to get it out of the way before, like, I can come to you. And he's just, what, what are you talking about? There's nothing there. But in addition, I actually, now I've placed this block there. And I'm actually subconsciously starting to link negative emotions to prayer without even God doing anything, I'm connecting, sitting down to pray with contending with my own shortcomings, right? I'm now connecting, I've connected, wow, if I'm going to sit down to pray, then I'm going to have to deal with the fact that I'm not everything I wish I was, and that negative emotion it's, is actually a lack of understanding of, of what prayer is Because for me, I'm, I'm subconsciously not even realizing it, saying, wow, negative emotions, that's what prayer is. Prayer is dealing with negative emotions. That's not actually true at all. That's not what God wants me to experience out of it, but its it's the cycle that so easily we can fall into, and a cycle that repeats itself, and it just compounds. Because now I was too ashamed and too guilty to actually enter into prayer, so then that whole day I never prayed, and I go to bed, and the next morning I wake up, and I'm like, man, it's been two days, and I haven't prayed, and that makes it twice as difficult to enter into the presence as it would have been the first day, or if it would have been if I could have just realized that that block was something I was putting there and never was something that God wanted for me to put there. When I visit my parents, I can see the the rhythms that they have with the father, particularly my mom, because we're up at the same time. I can see that every morning she sits down and she joyfully spends around an hour, sometimes differs, it can be longer, it can be shorter, but around an hour, I would say, with God. And it's not at the crack of dawn, because she's sensible and she likes to sleep, just like I do. (laughs) I don't see my dad do this because he's usually up so early and out of the house so early that I haven't even woken up by the time that he's done and gone, but my mom, I see this all the time, and I've noticed she seems to experience in prayer something that I often don't. She experiences prayer as this unhurried time that she's able to spend with her father. That's the fundamental experience she gets out of prayer is that it's this unhurried time and sacred time that she gets to spend with her father. It's not an obligation, which is how I often experience it. It's not uh, dealing with my negative emotions, which is how I often experience it. It's actually just time spent with God, and it's just sitting for her, can like literally often be just sitting in silence, just sitting with God, not even necessarily saying anything, just enjoying God's presence. The whole point here that I'm trying to make is that struggling to pray, you would have already noticed this, if you struggle to pray, you're not alone. And the way that we approach prayer drastically impacts how often we will do it because if we associate prayer with dealing with negative emotions, there is no one who just wants to deal with negative emotions all the time. I promise you, if that's how you think of prayer, you will not do it. You just will avoid it at all costs, especially if you're anything like me. The good thing is that Jesus actually modeled for us a way to look at prayer and a way to approach prayer. So, I'm going to read a little bit. If you have Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. On s- we'll have different verses on a different verse on the screen just because there's a... Luke has a very shortened version of this and I wanted to use the full version. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1 starts, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now... Just really briefly, I'm going to stop there and say, we're jumping into the middle of Luke. This is not chapter 1, it's chapter 11. And actually, a theme running through Luke's gospel is that Jesus prays often. He goes off on his own. He goes off with people. He prays all the time. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, we see Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed Luke chapter six. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke chapter nine verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. So this is not the only time that we see Jesus praying. It's actually just one of many times that we see Jesus praying, in, in specifically in the Gospel of Luke. And then moving on, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So it's interesting that we don't actually see the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to heal the sick or how to do miracles or how to cast out demons. They don't, they don't actually ask that question, or we don't see it in scripture, what we see is them ask, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? And John Mark Comer theorizes that they actually, what they realized was Jesus's extraordinary outer life with people, the miracles, all of these signs and things that he was doing, that outer life with people was the byproduct of an even more extraordinary inner life with God. What they realized was that this was just actually the outpouring of what was going on in his inner life with God. They realized that Jesus was experiencing something in prayer that they weren't. As I referenced earlier with, with my mom experiencing something that I didn't, prayer to Jesus wasn't this obligation, but actually it's a sacred time that he set aside to be with his father. And all of the things that he did were an outpouring from from that inner prayer life, from that inner connection that he had with his father. So as we move through this series, I want us to think about taking the disciples' request and making it our own. The disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray. That's the title of this series. Jesus, I want what you have. I want to pray like you. That is basically the fundamental theory, the the thesis of this series. We want to take that request and make it our own, put it into our own heart. So the next thing that Luke says is is Jesus saying the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read it out of Matthew just because it's a little bit longer. So Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This, this is the Lord's Prayer, probably something that you've heard before, probably something that most non-believers have heard before. It is probably the most iconic prayer across all of human civilization, and it's not just a liturgy, which is another word for a pre-made prayer. It's not just a liturgy. It's also a theological orientation for prayer. It's a way of coming before God. We're going to actually look at four truths, this framework that, that Jesus has for all prayer and for our specific prayer life. The first is that God is our Father. So we can see in the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, the first thing He says, our Father. Now, I gave a sermon several months back about how God actually wants us to see Him as as Abba, the, the word there that Jesus is using, and the word that that gets used by Paul later in the Gospels is is Abba, which roughly would translate in modern English to the word daddy. It's incredibly intimate, and it's how a young child would speak to their father. This is how Jesus refers to God, and you can also see that he says our father, not my father, but our father. Jesus immediately wraps us into his family and says, no, actually I want you to see him as daddy as well, not just me. You can go back to my sermon if you want. I go into more details, but for now, I just want to highlight how this image changes the way that we enter into prayer. John Tyson puts it this way, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn into prayer. So if we see God as he's depicted in the media— if we see God as this stern judge in the clouds just waiting to condemn us, we either won't pray or when we pray, we'll come into his presence tense and terrified of what that might mean. But on the contrary, if we see God as Jesus refers to him, if we see God as a father that would pick up his robes and come running down the lane to meet us, then everything turns on its head. Everything changes when we actually see God not as the media would have us see him, but as Jesus would have us see him. In scripture, the primary emotional word, the, the word to describe God's emotional state in both Old and New Testaments, the Greek word is racham, which means compassionate, but literally it refers to the feeling that a mother would have towards their infant child. So this is God's baseline emotion that scripture teaches us, that this emotion of, of compassion, of delight, of a tender care, that is actually fundamentally how God sees us. It's his baseline disposition towards us is delight, as if a, a mother looking at their infant child. The second, the second truth is that God is as close as the air we breathe. The second thing that Jesus says, he says, our Father in heaven. Luke doesn't have this. Again, that's why I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Matthew, but our Father in heaven. Now, heaven in this context, we're probably thinking the first thing we think of is heaven is, oh this, that's the place that you could eventually go to when you die. In this context, it's actually the Greek word oranus, which literally means just, it means the air. So this would translate then to our Father in the air. Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, it's not, God isn't as far as you think that he is, God is in the air all around you. He's literally in the air that you breathe. He is fundamentally much, much closer than you think and you might believe that he is. The third truth is the first goal of prayer is the worshipful enjoyment of our Father's company. So the next thing Jesus says is, hallowed be your name. Now, to hallow something is to revere and respect the holiness of it, right? Holy meaning unique, special, beautiful. Tim Keller would phrase it as, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God, and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. This is, right, this is us saying, okay, I'm actually now understanding the way God sees me, that God is a Father, He's looking down, I see the way that He sees me, and I'm actually coming in with a wondrous sense of who He is, the radiance. One of my favorite songs that that one of the first verses, er, verses in the song has a line that says, when I see your face, everything changes in the radiance of your smile. And this is like this. This is the same thing that that God's smile is radiant. He's beautiful, and to hallow Him is to just acknowledge that. The Anglican theologian N.T. Wright translates this second verse here as: "May you be worshipped by your whole creation. May the whole cosmos resound with your praise." So what we actually see here, Jesus saying, hallowed be your name, we see him actually in loving worship of his father. And this is incredibly different, I believe, than us and incredibly different, at least I can speak for myself. So often I come to God, as, as Tim mentioned, right, as this sort of vending machine that I'm looking to get something from. I'm looking, I'm hoping, okay, I'm gonna come with, with my needs that's not actually a bad thing, but I'm coming with my needs. I'm saying, please get me through this project, <laughs> get me through this sermon, get me through this situation that I'm, I'm having a difficult time with. And again, there's nothing bad about coming to God with our neediness. He actually really, really longs for us to come to him with our neediness. But what that style of coming to God as a, as a transactional nature is, is indicating would actually be that we're searching for happiness outside of God. That I'm actually coming to God and saying, hey, can you fix these things so that I can be happy? Not, hey, can you be my happiness, right? I'm saying, I'll be happy if I get through this situation. I'll be happy if you fix this problem for me. But there's a difference in the way that Jesus approaches it. He approaches it as, hey, you are my happiness. And I'm actually coming to you saying, you are my happiness. Everything else falls afterwards. Again, not a bad thing. It just is a little bit of a sign that may be pointing to where our heart is actually lying. The fourth thing that is true is that our prayers make a difference this is the final framework that jesus uses he says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven this implies of course that his kingdom has not come in full his will is not done in full in part yes it it has started to come but not in full yet this also implies by Jesus saying, hey, I want you to pray this. I want you to pray your kingdom come. I want you to pray your will be done. He's implying that through prayer, we partner with Jesus to actually drag the future age of the kingdom of God into the here and now. By partnering with Jesus in prayer, we actually have the ability to drag the kingdom of heaven into the modern day, to actually alter reality as it stands and say, look, the kingdom of heaven will be here now. Not in the future, but we want the kingdom of heaven to be here now. I could continue going through the Lord's Prayer easily for another 20 minutes, but for now, we're just going to think about how these four truths can actually alter the way that we step into prayer. If we step into prayer understanding that we're coming to a loving father who is near to us, and our primary goal is simply to just delight in who he is. Our primary goal isn't to say the right thing or get something done or make sure that we have our prayer answered if our primary goal is simply to delight in who He is, and then we understand that our prayers actually do have the power to alter reality itself, this changes our whole mindset. When we understand who God is, how He feels about us, what our goal is in prayer, and the power that it has, it completely changes the way that we step into prayer completely changes the way that I see it as an obligation. It reverts it from an obligation and makes it about, wait, no, actually this is an honor that I have. It's time that I get to spend with my father. It's time that he's not judging me. He's simply basking in who he sees me as, and I'm basking in who I see him as. So this is what God taught us to pray, or what Jesus taught us to pray, he also teaches us, this is, this is also how he teaches us to pray. It's the fundamental means through which Jesus taught his disciple to pray. You know, you can, you can see here that what Jesus isn't saying is just pray whatever's on your mind. There's nothing actually fundamentally wrong with praying what's on your mind, but that's not when the disciples said teach us to pray, that's not what Jesus, he, he didn't just say, well, pray whatever's on your mind at the time. He said, actually, no, I'm going to give you a framework. I'm going to give you a specific thing that you can follow to pray. And the New Testament scholar Scott McKnight argues verse 2 can, can actually be translated when Jesus is is saying, pray then like this, it can actually be translated, whenever you pray, recite this. So Jesus is actually tapping into the culture here because the first century Jewish culture was to pray memorized or pre-written prayers. This would have been something they were familiar with. He would have known, hey, you actually pray memorized prayers. This is something that you practice. Let me give you something that you can recite. This is, this is the Lord's Prayer. It's probably the most common example of a pre-made prayer, but there are a lot of other examples of pre-made prayers or liturgies. The Psalms are an excellent example, often called either the song book or the prayer book of the Bible because they're meant to be sung, they're meant to be actually prayed, not just to be read. Also scripture in, in itself, scripture is is pre-written prayer we can we can read through the scripture and and read promises that god has made and and actually through reading the scripture call on those promises to be kept singing in worship we don't actually think of modern worship as liturgical we think of it as songs but the truth is that it's a pre-written prayer what we were praying this morning what we were singing this morning was God, I need you, right? Like, this is fundamentally the same thing as I would pray on a Tuesday morning when I'm waking up and getting ready to start the day and I'm exhausted, is God, I need you. It's the same thing. When we're praying and when we're singing, they can, they can be exactly the same thing. Songs are quite literally pre-written prayers. Also, we have things like liturgies, We practice this on Sunday mornings. We've already practiced it once with the generosity liturgy. That's a pre-written prayer. And we'll practice it again at the end when we do our communion liturgy. These are things that are pre-written and just a guide for us to follow. Now this type of prayer is, is very helpful in a lot of situations. Jesus is using it here to teach people how to pray. So when we're first learning how to pray, Pre-written prayers can be really helpful because they give us a helpful guide, a framework for us to follow. Also, they can be really useful if we're not at our house or we're outside of our normal rhythm. If we're on a plane or we're in a hotel and, and we're tired, you might not have time to do prayer in the normal way that, that you've become accustomed to. Pre-written prayers can just be something that, that you read because they're a little bit easier Also, this can be easier when you're physically or emotionally unwell. When you're exhausted and you're tired and you don't have anything to give, you can just read a psalm. There are so many psalms of David saying, I am so exhausted and I have nothing to give. Please, God, please just take what I don't have to give and give me something that helps me move on. This can also be helpful when we long for greater articulation in our prayers. We wanna find the right words to express our heart to God, but we just don't necessarily have them. There are literally scholars who have written prayers, and this can do a lot for us, but it's important to say that if we just read something, it's not necessarily going to mean anything. These prayers can, can feel impersonal, or they can feel inauthentic. So it's incredibly important with pre-written prayers that we slow down and we bring our heart's intention to the prayers, right? Because it's just words on a, on a page unless we bring our emotions to it, but by bringing our emotions to it, we're actually joining into something much larger. As John Mark Comer puts it, we, when we pray pre-made prayers, we're tapping into a quiet power that's running under the surface of the kingdom of God. We're praying with the communion of the saints, adding our voice to millions around the world and down through history. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, this is something that the early Christians would have prayed three times a day every day. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're adding your voice to literally John, Peter. Simon, Uh, you're you're adding it to the disciples. They have been praying this through history. The church has been praying this throughout history, and there's power in the same thing being recited over and over throughout history. When we pray pre-made prayers, we're actually jumping into that chorus that's been going on for centuries and will continue to go on for centuries. There's real power when we bring our heart and we bring our intention into pre-made prayers. So, this isn't going to be, this first week, as we're wrapping up, don't think, okay, we're done. This is everything. I understand there's a lot more. This was literally just talking to God. That's all that's even covered this week. Next week, we go into talking, I think it's it's next week, right? Yeah. Next week, we go into talking with God, which is ultimately prayer is a conversation. It's as Billy mentioned, it's it's listening too. It's not just speaking to God, but it's it's actually giving and receiving. So just remember that our goal isn't to become experts. There's no right way to do this. Our goal is just to s- start developing a prayer rhythm that can sustain us for the weeks, the months, the years ahead. The Catholic scholar Ronald Rollheiser said, there's, there's no bad way to pray, and there's no single starting point for prayer. The spiritual masters offer one non-negotiable rule. You have to show up for prayer, and you show up regularly. Everything else is negotiable and respects your unique circumstances. So we're not looking to become experts. We're not looking even to become people who are praying for 16 hours a day. That's completely unsustainable. You're never going to be there. We're never going to be there. We don't have time for that. And Jesus doesn't expect that. God doesn't expect that. The goal here is just to deepen our connection to God. If right now you don't pray at all, then you can practice this by trying pre-made prayer. You can read the Lord's prayer. That's actually in the Tim linked or, or explained that we have resources online. The exercise for this week is actually just reading through the Lord's Prayer and praying through it line by line, which was really great. I did that practice this week. If you already pray 10 minutes a day, you could try cutting something out. Like, I know I spend 30 minutes on my phone when I wake up in the morning. The blue light helps me wake up, but it doesn't have to be (laughs) it doesn't have to be social media, it could very easily be Lectio 365 or something to, to that effect, right? If I need light to, to help me wake up because I have a ton of sleep inertia and have a lot of trouble getting out of bed, I can, I can actually use this time to, to spend it in prayer. And instead of doing 10 minutes a day, I could push that to 30 minutes a day that I'm actually spending in time And if you already have this regular prayer rhythm, then you can go to our website where Tim has linked these resources and they have even more areas for us to practice. There's a book to read, there's a podcast to listen to, which is actually fantastic. I listened to it this week as well. But the point isn't, again, to become experts. The point is just to take our starting point, which really doesn't matter where we're starting from, and use that as a pushing off point and say, okay, actually, we're going to, as a church, start developing a prayer rhythm and we're going to take wherever we're starting from and start to build something that feels sustainable, not working against our personalities. If you can't pray in the morning, don't pray in the morning. Like, just like that's, (laughs) don't work against your personality if you have zero time in the day because your name's Billy, then you can like pray in the times that you shower. That's often when I pray is I'm just, what am I doing in the shower? It's, it's, it's rote, I've, I've done this so many times. I can pray while I'm doing this. I can pray while I'm brushing my teeth, right? Ultimately, this is about us learning to develop a rhythm that's sustainable and we'll build on this week in the weeks to come.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. If we can be of any help to you, please don't hesitate to contact us at hello at sanctuariesf.com. We would love to connect. And wherever this finds you, may you experience the grace and peace of God our Father.